Amazon seems to be on course to compete with everyone. High street shops, large online retailers, and he certainly beat Santa to my house last year. But what happens when the kingpin of big data and clever tailored marketing decides to take on financial services? As FT Advisor has reported many times before over the years, the potential for Amazon to become a shop front for life insurance brokers or wealth managers is apparent. And while the regulatory niceties will need to be worked out, of course, what do we make of the model that Amazon can offer in becoming a one-stop shop for clients? Buying lots of baby things? Well, how about family income benefit? Purchasing items to make the home safer for older people? Here's some equity release advisors. New toilet seats? How about some home insurance? And what of large entities in regulated financial services attempting to counter this potential threat by becoming all things to all people? Does the technology exist to help them reach wider audiences? And can the advice market learn a thing or two from Amazon? Here to discuss all these things on the FT Advisor podcast and much, much more are Ian McKenna, founder of fintech consultancy FNTRC, and Hugo Bedford, chief executive of JM Fin. Welcome to you both. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So um, let's start with a question. How is tech democratizing financial services? Ian, I'll start, uh, start with you on this one. I think it's fascinating to see the way, for example, if we look at the micro savings firms who candidly seem to have crept up quietly uh, on the mainstream advice community. When when you look across um, the, the three main micro savings businesses, they have accumulated over two million customers in the last few years. Um, one of them is the largest originators of leases so they've got all those people absolutely lined up and ready and they understand when they want to uh, be buying their home so and 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 they're completely transforming i mean if we look at the way that the traditional financial services businesses take money from their customers they force the customer to work around the business So typically, a contract is set up on regular monthly premiums. You'll have annual contributions as well, but frequently things are set up on regular monthly premiums. Yet the one thing we can be absolutely certain of, there isn't a family in the country that has the same outgoings 12 months a year. Mm. We all have peaks and troughs, yet, you know, we're now a decade from the introduction of RDR, We all know why uh, contributions historically were structured as monthly or annual premiums, but that's a decade ago. Yet you look at these new organisations that are enabling consumers to save little and often and bringing in millions of people into savings. Uh, It's long been my belief that it's not a matter that the majority of, of people don't want to save. They don't know how to save. And I think we have an enormous amount to learn from the micro savings firms. That's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugo, if I can come to you, could, how much can we learn from, um, from these firms and you know, from Amazon itself? Well, I think, I mean, as, as Ian said, I think you're getting, uh, you're obviously having more products and services being offered to a wider 
group of investors. And historically, having your money uh, managed was really exclusively for the higher net worth investors. Um, yeah, with, with the increasing use of technology, specifically AI, e-commerce platforms and robo-advisors, I think that means you know, we, we can genuinely see services being offered to a much wider audience. And what about the sort of the tech, um, the sort of tech capabilities of, of Amazon and Apple? I mean, do they pose a, a threat or just a challenge to financial services firms if they were to start offering financial services to UK clients? I think any industry, be it financial services, banking, um, different elements of retail, um, you, you cannot deny the amount that those organizations understand about customer experiences. Frankly, the, the, there, there isn't a financial services business on the planet that is anywhere near either of those in terms of the way they deliver a customer experience, the way they deliver fulfillment. Um, and one of the scary things is once those organizations get into our markets, we will never be able to catch up with them, never mind, at, at, you know, get ahead of them. You know, one, once they come in, I, th I think we should look at it in terms of um, a democratization, making savings accessible to far more people. But absolutely, I mean, it, it, if one looks at Amazon, and the amount of data that they understand about their customers, I'm absolutely sure their data scientists could convince a regulator that they have an extremely good understanding of a consumer's values, a consumer's behavior. Um, and I think, well, it would be an incredibly brave regulator that would argue with them. Um, we, we, we need to accept those organizations are going to come into the market. We need to be ready to compete with them. Um, but it isn't going to, as I say, any, any industry that thinks they won't be a threat, and particularly in the context of um, Amazon, what's rarely talked about is their healthcare business. The things they are doing with healthcare data are amazing. There are views that in the long term, Amazon won't be known as a retail business. It will be known as a healthcare business. So when you begin to look at the convergence of wealth and health, and we're increasingly in a world where a client's health profile is as important as their risk profile, you know, it's no use saving for... To, towards a retirement to do the things that you, you want if your morbidities actually will interfere with your ability to live the life that you, you, you've been seeking in retirement. Um, at the moment, that's not a core part of financial planning. I absolutely believe that it is. There are some organizations in the US doing incredibly advanced work on this um, that can one I know well can predict something like 92 different health outcomes now. Yeah, this is a whole new area of financial planning and the traditional market doesn't really, for the most part, understand it. 
I really appreciate a lot of what you said there, Ian, and, and I do agree, certainly in terms of the provision and the selling of products stroke services. Amazon is, is second to none. Um, but in the wealth management space and in the financial planning space, it's the ongoing client relationship that really matters. And um, I'm, I'm going to come to Hugo here and, and, and start talking to him about that because, you know, when I try and get hold of Amazon customer services, it feels like I'm going through 18 different levels of chatbots. Um, and that's even trying to find where the, the, the chatbox function is on Amazon. Um, but if I want to speak to my wealth manager or my financial advisor, I can just pick up the phone and I'll have a, a human. Um, so maybe there are flaws in that in that service model. Um, Hugo, I'm going to come to you because I could see you sort of agreeing and also disagreeing with some of the things that, that Ian was saying there. I think that, that's right. I think there's a level at which where you have a commoditization where Amazon or the likes of Amazon, I mean, we're talking about Amazon, but it's really, uh, in a way, it's a sales methodology. It's an ideology. Um, and I think, though, that there's a level at which that will work very well. And I'm sure we will all have, uh, well, what will be available is a tool on your phone, which uh, is able to optimize your, the management of your money. It will know your lifestyle. It'll understand all your requirements, your feelings, so on and so forth, aspirations. But I think that will take, take you to a certain level. And it won't, you know, at, at, at a point at which you need advice, uh, I think that most people, the evidence still shows that people uh, do like to speak to someone that knows them or that they can trust. And I know trust, trust has been, I, I've heard trust being somewhat um, not disregarded, but saying that it's, it's, it's overplayed. And I understand if people trust algorithms and companies, that's fine. But, but I think it's still an important ingredient in a, cust a customer, a client, a consumer's decision-making, and particularly in financial services. So I, I, and I think you've, you, you've probably got two particular situations where uh, we, two scenarios where people really need to speak to someone, and that could be where their, their financial planning needs are more complex. Uh, and that's why we always keep them needs driven. We're not product driven. We, 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 that's how we built out our wealth planning financial advice side. And the other side is when markets or, 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 or conditions, economic backdrop becomes very volatile and sectors diverge. And, and that's actually when they really genuinely uh, uh, appreciate having someone to speak to. And I, and I, before I took on this job, I was an investment manager myself, and it takes a long time to actually gain someone's trust. And I still think there's a very important uh, place. And I don't think that technology will push that aside uh, in the immediate future. And, you know, the, the, there's still an important part for wealth managers to play. So, Hugo, even in a world where we're run by data and tech mm -hmm. um do we still have a place for my word is my bond or the kind of uber in my fides kind of concept that we've had in in financial services or are those days are those days android you know are, 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 are we looking for more uh, 
high-tech stuff, you know, we're looking to the eye <laughs> services. <laughs> you know, day, day still exists, Simony. I think you're talking <laughs> about, yeah. If we look at the last 30, 40 years of uh, regulatory challenges and uh, mis-selling events, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure, personally, if that environment still exists. It certainly did exist. Um, I think when uh, many of us came into the industry, absolutely, it was a core part of it. But 30 plus years of regulation, I'm not sure. But sorry, back to no, Hugo. no, no, Ian, that, that's well, no, interesting. I, Go on, Hugo. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think sort of my word is my bond is a bit. Obviously, people don't rely on that now. You have to, but I think that you you can through an individual relationship build up the soft facts. I think that AI is obviously moving a long way in terms of being able to capture all, all the information about someone, but it, it is very difficult to replace, in my view, uh, the, the ability and the trust and reassurance that someone has about speaking about individual situations and, and taking that. And that passes from generation to generation. And obviously, the challenge for the, for the wealth management industry, for the financial services industry, as always, it, your retention, you can't grow on retention alone. You've got to find the next generation. So for a company like us, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to uh, make sure that we can combine the personal service, but, but offering it uh, with a digital infrastructure around it so that we can engage. And, and a lot of it is also engaging with the clients at a level that they want, that they choose to. And for the next generation, that's about making sure that uh, for the millennials that it works for them, whether it's, you know, your content, making sure it's got that it's relevant to their generation, thematic, responsible investing and so on, but also delivered in the right way. And I think so it, it, it's difficult to challenge. I think the the Amazon side of being able to offer, if you, if you think what their, their customer experience, as Ian said, it's fantastic. Mm. Price is simplicity. Yeah, the, the, the offering comparisons, new suggestions, and then you've got the, the, the platform, which is, you know, you can get it in one place, no bias for their own goods, could argue against that, but, but consistent cons uh, customer interaction. I think those might hit other parts of the financial services, particularly the banks, where they may, may become a product with, mm. with Amazon's as the client interface. Um, but for wealth management, again, we, we feel that we can still hold on. We've just got to make sure that we deliver and we have the right products that suit the next generation. Hmm. So, Ian, what should we be copying in financial services from the likes of sort of Amazon and Apple? What works well that we could take, even if we are small one or two person bands? Can I approach it from a slightly different perspective, but also add to Hugo's point? I would um, expect nothing less, Ian. <laughs> Apple is already the second largest payment transaction business on, on, on the planet. Um, after Visa, they overtook MasterCard uh, a, a while back. So, yes, there are other bits of... Um, financial services that they're already having a, a, a dramatic impact and it's interesting when you look at um i mean goldman sachs pulling back on what they were doing with their digital banking business mm. to uh, and, and the same week they announced a partnership with apple 
if Goldman Sachs don't want to take on Apple, what 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 does that tell us? But I, I think it's more a matter. And to come back to, we are in the very infancy of automated advice solutions, and it, it's you know something many people will have heard me say before is. You know, never try and out-calculate the silicon chip. You're going to lose every time. But we don't yet have the technology that can easily interact with consumers in the way that humans do. And it's quite interesting. There is, there is for example, um, a very sophisticated automated advice system that's now being rolled out to help people in at-retirement accumulation scenarios. And the way that particular piece of kit works, it needs to be fed an awful lot of data, but the system will then run approximately 5 million models for each individual client to wow. come out with the optimum solution. Um, and the really interesting bit comes that they... They only charge a fee for their advice if they can improve on what the customer's already been offered. And that fee is £299. Now, if we think about mm. what advisors historically have charged for decumulation advice, and this particular system's been many years in the building. So I've been quietly talking to advisors about how typically if they're giving that sort of advice, how many models might they run? The highest number ever quoted to me was 10. Mm. Um, a few say five. Most say between one and three. So if you're talking, and I don't think it's unusual to put a price on that sort of service in traditional advice at, say, two or three thousand pounds, if you've got an automated solution. But the thing, really important thing to understand is the machines doing the work humans are delivering the results interestingly in a lot of scenarios where it's being deployed it's being deployed to non-qualified people so that they can't change the advice but the mm. advice guided by the machine and the human articulates it so so i think in the short to medium term where we're actually going it's it's very very much a matter of working with the technology, let the technology take the strain, if you like, do the hard number crunching. And where we are right now, absolutely, people can communicate better with other clients than machines can. But we should look <coughs> at very recent events. Um, I mean, we had chat GPT launched to the market just before Christmas. Um, some people making some very very scary statements about what that can do as an ai some experts suggesting it was extremely irresponsible for that technology to be released because it, because it is something which can learn itself and potentially has very worrying you know consequences for society but let me roll back to another example of something I was looking at a couple of weeks ago, which is a screen sharing system, similar to things like Teams and Zoom that we use all the time. But this actually tracks the individual's facial um, movements and can measure at a micro expression level, whether the individual is A, understanding what you're saying, 
and B agrees with it. That's an so, interesting concept for advisors who have and wealth managers who say that it's good to sort of see a client because you can sort of gauge whether or not um, see them in person because you can gauge whether or not they are feeling uncomfortable with the advice or whether there's something else that's that's going on. And that's a bit scary. Thing, I mean, we we learn about micro. Micro, micro expressions are things that we read as humans all the time. We learn about them between about eight and nine. And actually, when an advisor says, I can sit in front of a client and learn something, yeah, they absolutely can because they're mm. picking up on those micro expressions. And the more that they've done it, the more they've done it with consumers, the greater skill they have at doing that. The point I'm making is that technology is emerging now, which can replicate exactly the same. And when you look at... The early days of the same technology, law enforcement agencies are incredibly interested in this tech because they really like to understand if people are telling the truth or not. Um, when the FBI looked at the first versions, and this was about 15 years ago, of these forms of emotion recognition software, they, they found that the early machines could beat their best people that have been doing it for 15 to 20 years. So we're on a journey. You know, absolutely, there is a role for humans in financial advice, but it will change. And what, what that will enable us to do, coming back to your original point about democratization, is make advice available to more people more affordably. Though, again, uh, Hugo's right, at the top end of the scale, I'm sure people are going to continue to want their white glove service. Yeah, but that's true. I mean, people like to be able to listen to music on Spotify and use some of their lists, but there's a whole lot of people who actually like buying vinyl. Um, Hugo, I mean, if, if I call the wealth managers the vinyl um, experts, <laughs> you know, you guys deliver that. There's a specialist, uh, there's, a, there's sort of a bespoke element that, technology just, just can't quite achieve i mean that's why you're hiring more more people aren't you i mean that's why you're on a growth journey in 2023 yeah but but hope we're through the cd stage rather than uh vinyl, actually. oh no uh, vinyl's making a comeback it, hugo I know, I know. gen z are all over it i know exactly my daughter's got records yeah for christmas right so absolutely i think i mean i the, the point about the democratization of the industry is absolutely right. And, and what we've got to do is you've got later retirement ages, you've got an increasing advice gap, you've got an aging population. So we've got to get the next generation, the younger people to plan and save more. And, and all of this, hopefully, if it's done in the right way, you know, there are some downsides, there are risks, but the YouGov report the other day was saying that 7% of people took advice um, professional advice uh, over the last two years compared to 10% in the previous year. And, you know, the cost of living crisis, people are not going to pay for advice even even more. So it, it, the gap's going to become bigger. So anything that encourages young investors um, to start, uh, you know, and, and the platforms allow them to start, tech platforms allow them to start in a small way, not gambling, you know, investing mm -hmm. and understanding it. Um, I do think it needs to come actually, and I know this is a bit of a long shot, but you know, the, the level of education in this country in terms of financial education is just appalling and that it's not on the curriculum in some respect. People leave school, as I said, my daughter leaves school, she, she's been inundated with, you know, offers of credit. 
you know, no one's really talked to her about the banking world, mortgages. So we really need to combine if we can if we can get that into the system so that people can have basic financial understanding. And then there's the simplicity and transparency, which I think technology does, um, uh, you know, does provide. But it needs to someone needs to keep a close eye on that. Uh, so it gets people if it gets people uh, in looking to invest. I think that's great. I think there are some risks, and and the obvious ones are things like suitability, which mm. is a bugbear of the industry. We need to make sure that there is, I think, what they call it, appropriate friction that people do make informed decisions, even when things are presented that look good. They need to make sure that technology can't bypass straight through uh, to, to people's decisions without them being in the right position to make those. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Hugo and Ian, I'm going to have to, to wrap this up, but um, before I go, I'd like to ask each of you in turn one top tip for 2023 that the financial services industry can learn or take on board. Um, Hugo, um, I'm going to continue with you and then go to Ian. The, the, sorry, the, the, the industry or for individuals? Ooh, well, I don't know. If you want to squirrel the issue and call it for individuals, that, that's fine. But um, I'm... I, yeah. I mean, whether it's financial services or the the end consumer, I'm I'm happy to take your okay. your thought. I think it's making sure that uh, I think one of the fundamental challenges. This is all about data, okay, mm. and and it's all about uh, the power that Amazon and others have with the leverage of the huge resources, um, financial resources, but the huge resources they have of data. And I think the incumbents have a legacy data issue which they need to sort. And I think with AI and robotics, they will get through that. But I think what, what is key to me and the top tip I would give, which I'm sure people know because the regulators try on it, is to make sure that you have, firstly, obviously, all your GDPR issues in place, but also uh, data security. I think that is one of our fundamental mm. um, uh, focuses to make sure as this expands, that we control and we monitor and we can reassure anyone that we're communicating with that we have, you know, the very latest security. Yeah, a very good point, Hugo. Thank you. Ian? Yeah, firstly, 100% agree with, with Hugo. Data security is, is the first thing that everyone should be uh, clear on. But at the same time, and my point is particularly addressed to advisors, Make sure that your business can offer digitally all the services that you currently offer in an analog environment. Because if you actually look at the time, if advisors started get, being in the office at the hours that their clients are actually thinking about their finances, when you look at online services, they wouldn't be getting into the office until about 11 They'd be going home about nine at night and they would be in the office on a, a Saturday morning. Now, I don't know any advisor uh, that wants to be working those sort of hours. And I'm not advocating that they should. But if that's what when people are looking at their money, you need to make sure that digitally you can give the customer access to everything. We are being uh, we're seeing the emergence of what's being called digital relationship management systems. And that's basically putting everything that you can do face-to-face -face or remotely, every service you offer as part of your digital presence. Well, 
Excellent. Thank you very much. Sadly, that is all we have time for, but thank you very much, Hugo and Ian, for taking part in our podcast. And let's see if FT Advisor can emulate Amazon. As you have listened to our podcast, would you also like to read other material on FT Advisor? There are some top picks, especially for you, as well as some great offers on things you have already read. Uh, But sadly, we are out of stock on toilet seats. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.